Hey everyone, and welcome to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that today's message encourages and inspires you and helps you on your journey to discover and follow the will of God. The outline of this message, speaker, message title, and series can be found in the show notes or the details page. Be sure to check us out on Facebook or on our church website at Bethlehem505.com. And now, here is the message. Uh, turning to uh, Hebrews 5 for our message. And start, let us pray like Jesus. Uh, we, we talk a lot about following his example, but I uh, haven't heard a lot, honestly, through the years about this aspect of uh, trying to be like Jesus, but great place to start, let's do that. We have all experienced frustrations with voicemail and answering machines, especially with impersonal companies and businesses. So imagine praying sometime and hearing this. Thank you for calling my father's house. Please select one of the following options. Press 1 for requests. Press 2 for thanksgiving. Press 3 for complaints. Press 4 for all other inquiries. Or what about if God used this familiar excuse when we prayed? Well, I'm sorry, all the angels are helping other customers right now. Please stay on the line. Your call is important to us and will be answered in the order it was received. Or can you imagine getting these kinds of responses as you call God in prayer? If you would like to speak to the angel Gabriel, press 1. The the archangel Michael, press 2. For a director of the other angels, press 3. If you would like to hear King David sing a psalm while you're holding, press 4. For answers to nagging questions about dinosaurs, the age of the earth, and where Noah's Ark is now, please wait until you arrive here. (laughs) Or, (laughs) our computers show that you have already called once today. Please hang up and try again tomorrow. Or finally, how would you like to hear this? This office is closed for the weekend. Please call again Monday after 9 a.m. All right, so here's the good news, (laughs) the really good news. None of those responses are going to happen when we sincerely talk to God. Our great God absolutely wants to hear from us. (laughs) He wants us close to him. His line stays open, and he doesn't go on vacation nor does he turn off the ringer when he doesn't want to receive calls. And here's something to consider. Have you, has it ever occurred to you that you and I have the very same access to God through prayer that Jesus had while he was here? We have the exact same access to God the Father that Jesus had when he was here. We can simply talk to the Father the same way he could. But apparently not even Jesus' 12 disciples understood that fact. Because in Luke 11, you don't have to turn there, we'll go to Hebrews in a minute, but in Luke 11, it says, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. You see, they must have thought, Prayer required some kind of a special formula or something. And, you know, Jesus teaches how to say the right words and in the right language and all that kind of stuff. 
But we know it's obvious when they asked the question that they had noticed Jesus' prayer life. Matter of fact, he had just finished, and that's when they asked him. So over time, what they had seen was they had seen the deep relationship he had with the Father. They had seen the intensity of it. They had seen the passion in his prayer life. They saw how important prayer was to him. They saw the consistency and genuineness every time he prayed. And frankly, they just saw him pray. (laughs) They saw him pray on a mountain. They saw him pray in a garden. They saw him pray at a tomb. They saw him pray by the sea. They saw him pray with crowds. They saw him pray with them. And they saw him pray all alone. But there may be no single verse in the entire Bible that better summarizes the prayer life of Jesus than Hebrews 5, verse 7. And the context of this section, the latter part of chapter 4 and the first half of chapter 5, is that Jesus is the high priest. And in this text, it's on the front of your bulletin as well, Hebrews 5, 7, it says this. And there are several adjectives that ought to jump out at you here in words. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent Submission. Now, combine that with a verse that's, I know in my Bible, it's right across the, that half of the page, in chapter 4, verse 16. What we just read was about Jesus. This is what God says to us. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So consider, I do not recall, and I'm I'm getting pretty old, (laughs) I do not recall ever hearing another Christian say out loud, I want to pray like Jesus. Someone might have said that around me, but I just don't recall ever hearing another Christian in this church or anywhere else say those words, I want to pray like Jesus. And that could very well explain why we often have a difficult time living like Jesus when we've not tried to pray like Jesus. But the good news is this. If we begin to pray like Jesus, we will be well on our way to becoming more like Jesus. So this morning, let's imagine what God will do, will do, When, and I'm not saying if, when we begin to do that. When we begin to try to pray like Jesus. So I guess the prayer of all of us right now should be, Lord, (laughs) teach us to pray like Jesus. Well, what does that look like? Number one on your outline. This is abundantly clear. Jesus made prayer a priority. Jesus made prayer a priority. Flip back with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 1. And hold that for just a moment. See, Jesus knew that prayer was essential. He knew it was our lifeblood. It was our connection to God. It was our breath of life. He knew it was our life to stay in touch with the Father. 
And therefore, there's two things we notice that, on how Jesus made prayer a priority. He prayed early. He prayed early. Now, we do not know for sure that Jesus prayed early, early, early morning every single day. But there's one passage that's helpful to look at. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 says this. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, the context of that verse is very important. If you go back to verse 21 and following, you notice that this was the day of teaching, extensive teaching by Jesus. Uh, any of you that ever taught even an hour-long class? No, teaching can be exhausting. He had been casting out demons. Then verse 32 says that that same day after sunset, a bunch more people showed up wanting healing and things from Jesus. This was exhausting. So they come after dark, and then verse 35 says, but very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus went out and prayed. Now what time was it when, when he prayed? Now, I've tried to do some figuring on this. They're at the Sea of Galilee because they're in Capernaum, northern side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, I have twice been to the Sea of Galilee, twice stayed in hotels right on the Sea of Galilee. And I still remember the first time I was in my 20s and I was with a tour group and they announced the night before supper, if any of you want to get up and see one of the most amazing things in the world, the sunrise over the Sea of Galilee, you can do it, but you have to, it'll be 3.30 or 4 a.m. I was in my 20s. <laughs> And I can't remember if I just chose not to or if I just overslept, but I missed it. Showed up at breakfast the next day. Everybody saw me at this incredible sunrise, or the ones that went, uh, that morning. 3.30 or 4 a.m., the sun rose over the Sea of Galilee. Now, I don't know what time of year it was when Jesus did this. We, you know, we were there in May. But the sun rose, and let's say it was the same time. Jesus got up very early in the morning while it was still dark at 3.15 a.m., and he went out to pray. Now, verse 36 and 37 says Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone's looking for you. So they woke up, um, what, 6, 5.30 even? Uh, even if they went at 5.30, he'd already been praying two hours out there. If they found him at 8 o'clock, he had been praying four and a half, five hours. How do you begin your day? You know, we always seem to make time for certain morning activities, like taking a shower. That's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, mouthwash, another good thing. Dressing, that's another good thing. Check the news. Drink coffee, email, Facebook. Verse 35 says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. See, there's a lesson in what Jesus did and also when he did it. Early missionary to China, J. Hudson Taylor, understood that morning prayer concept. He said, do not have your concert first, then tune your instrument afterwards. Begin the day with the word of God in prayer and get first of all in harmony with him. Ralph Cushman understand that, understood that principle too, and he wrote this poem called The Secret. He says, I met God in the morning when the day was at its best, and his presence came like sunrise, like a glory within my breast. 
All day long the presence lingered. All day long he stayed with me. And we sailed in perfect calmness over a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were sort of distressed. But the winds that seemed to drive them brought to us a peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings when a keen remor- with a keen remorse of mind, when I too had loosed the moorings with his presence left behind. So I think I know the secret learned from many a troubled way. You must seek God in the morning if you want him the rest of the day. Jesus prayed early. And I think Jesus generally knew exactly what he was talking about and doing. We also notice that Jesus prayed at key times in his life. In other words, those critical moments were big events in life that we all have. Luke 3, he prayed at his baptism publicly. He prayed at the transfiguration in Luke 9. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke 22. We'll come back to that one later. But I love this reference in Luke chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, about the night before Jesus designated, chose his apostles. It says, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Actually, you know Jesus already knew who the 12 were. But on that significant moment, knowing how important those guys would be, Jesus prayed the entire night for those 12 men. You see, Jesus knew that if he was going to accomplish God's purpose at those key times in his life, he would need to do so through the power of prayer. Jesus made prayer a priority. So let's just imagine today what God will do when you and I make it the same priority. And that's really the goal of this series. Hebrews 5, 7, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and was heard because of his reverent submission. But there's a second major thing we notice about Jesus' prayer life that we can emulate. Jesus understood the importance of solitude. Again, we just saw in Mark 1, uh, he went off to a solitary place. Now turn back a few chapters to Matthew chapter 14. This is the account um, right after the feeding of the 5,000, right before Jesus walks on the water. So because of those two major events, we in Sunday schools, we get focused on the major events, and we miss the verses in between, which is incredibly important. Matthew 14, that was another huge stressful day in Jesus' life. A lot of activities, but one of the most stressful things was was on that day he found out that his cousin and his forerunner, John the Baptist, had been murdered. That's the context. Then he's healing a bunch of people. Then he fed 5,000 plus people. And then verse 22 of Matthew 14 says this, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Notice the next verse. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. Do not miss the phrase by himself and alone. It's vital, it's important that we pray together. 
But folks, it's just as vital that every single one of us at times takes time away from everybody else where it's us and God. Jesus went into the hills to get away from people. He went in the evening, it says. But then verse 25 says, and this starts the account of the storm and him walking on the water. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Well, the fourth watch of the night in Jewish culture was from 3 to 6 a.m. So Jesus had been praying from evening until 3 to 6 (laughs) a.m. And then he walked out on the water to his disciples. He'd been praying six or eight hours. Luke 5, 15 and 16 says this. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And this is the context of this. All these people coming for Jesus, and then it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. You see, Jesus knew he needed those times alone with the Father if he was going to be able to minister to all the crowds who came to him. Not a person in this room should ever apologize for going away by ourselves to talk with God so that we can then have the kind of relationships and things in life that we ought to be living. Luke 22, 41 talks about him going in the Garden of Gethsemane and he withdrew from the others. See, Jesus understood the importance of solitude, the importance emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And he also knew that the less distractions there are, the better the communication is with God. I don't know about you, but I get distracted really easily. (laughs) Noises, sounds, people, whatever, whether I'm trying to read or pray or what. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Sometimes that's hard if we don't get away by ourselves. Jesus understood the importance of solitude for prayer and meditation. So let's just imagine today what God will do when you and I begin to take seriously our prayer lives in praying in solitude. Hebrews 5.7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and was heard because of his reverent submission. Another thing Jesus understood about prayer, he understood the importance of submission as it relates to prayer. You see, too often our prayers are all about what we can get. And maybe we're kind of like the kid. Uh, His mother, Donna McLean, writes about going shopping with her eight-year-old son. And her son spotted a toy that he wanted really bad, but he didn't have enough of his own money to buy it. And she says, since I wanted to teach him financial responsibility, I told him I couldn't give him the extra money for him to get that toy. She says, in a brilliant display of resourcefulness, he reached into his mouth and to the astonishment of onlookers, pulled out a loose baby tooth and handed it to me. She says, he got his toy. (laughs) You know, it's sad when we try to manipulate God like that with our prayers. God, you better give me this. (laughs) I'm asking in faith because I really need this. God, do this for me. Do this for me. Do that for me, God. That phrase in Hebrews 5, 7 that we keep reading, reverent submission is pretty striking to me. Jesus' reverent submission when he prayed. Some translations say his godly fear, that he is obedience. I'm going to submit to God no matter what. 
There's two ways Jesus demonstrated his submission to God when he prayed. And the first is he knelt. He knelt to pray. Luke 22, verse 39 says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew, there it is, a, about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, knelt down and prayed. Verse 45, then it says, when he rose from prayer and went back to his disciples. Matthew 26 is the account of the same thing. It actually talks about him, his face being to the ground, his face. Folks, I know we can pray in a lot of different positions, and I do. But this is a known Bible practice that we too often ignore, to kneel down when we pray. It's a symbol of humility. It's a symbol of helplessness. It's a symbol of submission, that we know he's God and we're not. Psalm 95, 6 says, Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Kind of sounds like a command, doesn't it? two instances in Paul's life in one of his missionary journeys. In Acts chapter 20, he had met with a group of elders from the church in Ephesus. He knew he'd probably never see him again. And here's how the account ends. It says, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. Then the very next chapter, he's with a different group of people. Uh, Acts 21.5 says, when it was time to leave, we, knelt, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city and there on the beach... We knelt, we knelt and prayed. Are you noticing a Bible pattern here? <laughs> they knelt <laughs> and prayed. It's a sad sign of our proud culture that many Christians often go years without once getting down on their knees to pray. They may pray every day, half the day, but never get down on their knees and do it. Submission. Submission. He's God, we're not. But another way he showed his submission was God, Jesus prayed for God's will to be done. That's the ultimate submission. In that account in the Garden of Gethsemane, again, it says he withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, and here's what he prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. That's his request. This cup of suffering. He knows what's about to happen. If it's... If you're willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. That's submission. God, such and such may be what I want, but your will be done. And I may not like it, God. I may not understand it. I may not see it for years or a long time why you said no or why you answered the way you did, but I submit your will be done, God. Pam and her husband, Bob, understood submission to God and went against the cultural pressures of their society. More than 35 years ago, she and her husband, Bob, were serving as missionaries to the Philippines, and they were praying for a fifth child. Well, Pam contracted amoebic dysentery, an infection of the intestine caused by a parasite found in contaminated food and drink. She went into a coma and was treated with strong antibiotics before they discovered that she was pregnant. 
While pregnant, Pam nearly lost the baby four times, but refused to consider abortion. She recalled making a pledge to God with her husband in submission to God's will. If you will give us a son, we'll name him Timothy and we'll make him a preacher. Pam ultimately spent the last two months of her pregnancy in bed and eventually gave birth to a healthy baby boy, August 14, 1987. Pam's youngest son is indeed a preacher. Preaches in prisons, makes hospital visits, serves at his father's ministry in the Philippines. He has started a ton of other ministries. Oh, and by the way, he also played professional football and a little bit of semi-pro baseball. Pam's son is Timothy Tebow, Tim Tebow, uh, who also started the Night to Shine uh, that we have even in our own community around here for special needs students. Uh, And I even read last week that Tim Tebow auctioned off his Heisman Trophy from college auctioned off his trophy a week or two ago, raised a million dollars for some ministry he's working with. (laughs) Aren't you glad Bob and and Pam listened to God and submitted to God instead of the abortionists? (laughs) Aren't you glad they understood the importance of submission like Jesus did? So let's imagine what God will do when we pray in submission. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. There's a fourth thing from Jesus. We know Jesus uh, showed us what to pray. Now, there are several things we can point out here. I just want us to look at four uh, very quickly. Jesus prayed often for God's glory. On one occasion, Jesus predicted his coming death, his coming death. But I want you to notice what he prayed for in John 12, 27 and 28. He knows his death is coming, and here's what he prays. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. He's approaching his death, and he's saying, no, I'm praying for God's glory. That's what I'm praying. Didn't pray for deliverance. Prayed for God's glory. John 17, Jesus' longest recorded prayer in all of Scripture in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, right before he's about to be arrested, the words glory or glorify come up at least nine times in his prayer. Nine times. So let's pray for God's glory even if that doesn't look like what we want when we pray. Jesus also prayed, thank you. Thank you. Which reminds me of little Johnny and his family were having dinner at his grandmother's house, and everyone was seated around the table, and the food was being passed around. When little Johnny received his plate, he started eating right away, away, and his parents got on him and said, Johnny, wait until we say our prayer. He says, I don't have to. Of course you do, his mother says. We always say prayer before eating at our house. And he said, that's at our house, but this is Grandma's house, and she knows how to cook. Jesus prayed thank you. Jesus prayed thank you. When Jesus was at Lazarus' tomb, look what it says in John eleven forty one and 42. So they took away the stone. They, then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Nothing's happened yet. 
Lazarus has not been raised from the dead. That's a few verses later. He's already thanking. He says, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. He gave thanks in advance. He did not pray for a miracle. He just gave God thanks. Second, or 1 Corinthians 11 tells us uh, that Jesus specifically gave thanks at the Last Supper. Uh, Matthew 14, and the feeding of the 5,000, verse 19 says, says, and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Didn't have any record of him make a whole lot more of this in a miraculous way. He just thanked God. And then the miracle came. Same thing in Matthew 15, the feeding of the 4,000. So let's just give thanks for however God chooses to work or provide because God is good all the time. Let's just thank him. But also Jesus prayed for others. Make this quick because one sermon, maybe two in November, will be on what we call intercession, praying for others. But we see this often in Jesus' life. Luke 22, 31 and 32, he prayed that Peter's faith would be strong. Luke 23, verse 34, he prayed for the forgiveness of his enemies. John 17, he prayed for his disciples, then for future Christians, then for the whole world. Jesus prayed for others. So should we. But finally, Jesus prayed for himself. <laughs> and you know what? Paul frequently did this too, just like Jesus. Several times in the epistles, Paul asked people to pray for him. Luke 22, Jesus prayed for himself in the garden. Jesus asked for help and strength in the most intense struggle of his life. He was bearing the weight of the sins of the world. And he prayed for strength to do it. He prayed that he would be faithful and obedient when his flesh told him to do otherwise. But above all, he prayed for God's will. You know, in this verse that we, I've kept reading, Hebrews 5, 7, it says he prayed to the one who could save him from death. Notice it did not say he prayed to the one who could save him from dying because Jesus never made that request. Save me from dying, God. He never prayed that. He said, save, he knew God was the one who could save him from death, and that's exactly what God did. After he died, God raised him up. He saved him from death, but not from dying. He was praying to be resurrected from death. So let's imagine what God will do when you and I learn to pray what Jesus prayed for. But finally, and this is something, I don't know, you may not have thought about this that much, Jesus continues to pray for us. Did you know that? Jesus continues to pray for us. Hebrews 7, verse 25 says of Jesus, Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. That's Jesus praying for us. He's interceding for us now in heaven. Then Hebrews 9, verse 24, says, For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Jesus is there in heaven talking on our behalf. Romans 8, 34, put it this way, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. 
I think it's pretty amazing that Jesus himself is in heaven right now interceding for me and for you. 1 John 2, 1 and 2 says he speaks to the Father as our defense attorney. But the bottom line is Jesus wants us close to God, and that's why he intercedes for us. So let's imagine, let's imagine what God will do when our, when our prayers unite with Jesus' prayers by the power of his Spirit. And here's the good news. God is available to us just like he was for Jesus. So here's the question. Do you need prayer less than Jesus did? Do you need prayer less than Jesus did? Are you stronger and wiser than Jesus? Are you greater than Jesus? Now, I'm not just trying to be sarcastic, although I am being sarcastic, <laughs> so that you and I will both think about how silly it is that we think we can get by praying less than Jesus did and not making it the priority he did when he was the son of God. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. But then the next two verses, although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He is the source of eternal salvation. So Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray like Jesus. Let's do what's right, right now, and just imagine what God will do. So we prepare to sing our song of decision. I want you to notice the statement at the bottom of the page, and I hope this is a statement that you're going to make and I'm going to make today. I will follow Jesus in prayer and obedience. I will follow Jesus in prayer and obedience. I realize there are people in this room today, some of whom have been Christians probably as long as I've been alive. And you've been praying for a long time. But there's still things, if you're like me, in your prayer life that just don't measure up. There's a lack of consistency, there's a lack of passion, there's a lack of priority. There's not enough praying for others and it's all about ourselves. There's not enough praying for God's will. There's not enough praying in submission. Whatever it is, all of us have something in our prayer life that needs strengthened, improved, changed, maybe drastically today. And one of the most important things that could happen for each of us in this congregation is that for several of us, either publicly or privately, to say this is the day, this is the day when I... Take prayer seriously from now till I go to be with God. Or maybe you need to come to him for the very first time as we always extend this invitation to trust him enough that what Jesus did on the cross for you can save your soul from death by his blood being shed. You're willing to confess that and repent of your sins and do things his way. Make him the boss. Lord, reign in me. And then bury that old life in the water grave of baptism. Thank you for listening to the Bethlehem Church of Christ podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and think others can benefit from it, we encourage you to share it on social media, subscribe to our podcast, or leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform you use. You can also connect with us online at Bethlehem505.org 
or find us on Facebook. Please join us next time as we each seek to understand God's Word and follow His Son, Jesus Christ.